House of the Dragon Season 1, Episode 10, The Black Queen. Only one podcast episode this week. And the last one of the season, so thank you to our few listeners who have tuned in and uh, <laughs> gone for this ride for us. We enjoyed House of the Dragon, so it's sad to be over, and it's not going to be back till 2024. So maybe we'll do Game of Thrones we watch in that time, or a season of that, or something. I don't know. But you probably won't hear from us for two years. <laughs> well, it's funny. I wish there was like a, a way to get feedback. Like maybe we could add it to the podcast website or something where people could like ask questions or say things that they'd like to hear a podcast on. I mean, most of these people who listen to this are related to me. So you could probably just also call me and <laughs> tell me. I think when the show's over, it's kind of out of sight, out of mind. And yeah. people go on with life. So they don't care about the little details more than a week or two later. But here we are reviewing the last episode. You said to me that... <laughs> 2024 a couple days ago and my heart just sunk are we back to this where we just have to wait forever for these next seasons and yeah that sucks i don't know why they did it that way if they were waiting to see if it was a hit before they committed all this money to it or what but if, if you're gonna have a cliffhanger like that and but it's a, all set up too right it's literally the whole season is to set up for the next season they're gonna make us wait two years like they always planned on having at least yeah, yeah. So. but here we are so since we're only doing one episode this week, it's going to be a longer one. I don't know if we'll go into as much detail as we do with our scene-by-scene scene one, because a lot of our scene-by-scene scene one is to set up what's going to happen in the next episode or the episode after that, and we're kind of at a pause here, but we'll just take it and see where it goes. And poor Luke. Oh my God, look at the first two words of how my note starts. <laughs> poor Luke. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Poor Luke is standing over the table. Uh Feeling, yeah, he's feeling insecure about taking the sea snake's place, and I don't blame him. <laughs> I finally understand why they kept him looking like a hobbit, a young little hobbit, and it is because he was never going to age past 14, which really quick, there was an inside the episode a couple episodes ago where they said everybody's at least age 17, and this is a whole three years off. Even in our time here, people between the age of 14 and 17 often change quite a bit. Yeah. So... At least makes a little bit more sense. He he actually looks 14, so I'll give him that. But it makes sense to me that they didn't age him up because he was never going to age. Yeah, those inside the episodes have less insight than what we give you here. <laughs> they totally confuse you because, right, they yeah. said, yeah, everybody's aged up between 17 and 21 or 24 or whatever they said. But then they tell us in this episode, Luke is 14. And in the book, you know, he's 13, 14, whatever. But... I agree that they could cast such a kid because he wasn't going to go anywhere. But then it still makes Jace, who's like even as small as Luke or smaller, just seem miscast to me. But he does look older. Yes, he does look like a man. And he is older, but he does look older. And I can actually see if they dress him or honestly just do his hair a little bit differently, he would look older. And just don't have him fight Aemond. Oh, God. (laughs) Or Vagar, man. That... That dragon is scary. Might be old, but that dragon is scary. Yeah, that was a great scene. All right, continuing on from the beginning, though. Um, well, so, yeah. Yes, we don't have to go, you know, with a fine-tooth comb over scene by scene, but we just see that Luke is feeling insecure because Corliss was a, the, the greatest sailor that ever lived. But then he also... And he gets green sick. Yeah, and he gets sick easily. And then what's also funny is that he's talking to Renera and he's like, oh, I'm not so perfect as you. And, of course, we know Renera's not perfect, and she knows she's not perfect. But to him, to a little boy, that's the point of view he could have to now, which is understandable. So it's just kind of funny. And it, it made the payoff a little bit stronger, I think, of all the time jumps and stuff. Because we get to, did get to see Renera as a girl and, and see her mistakes and stuff. 
I really thought that that Emma Darcy did such a great job with this scene with with Luke. Just the way she has facial expressions. Like one thing I'll I'll just the casting director does with a lot of the the cast members is so much is transmitted with just a facial expression, an eye roll, a, a quirk of the lip. Um, sometimes just being deadpan, like they they really know what they're doing. Yeah, she's great. She's grown on me with every episode. Like at first with the time jump, and it's like a little jarring to see because everybody liked Young Renera, and then we see the new one. You're kind of like, oh god, I don't know if we yeah, can Millie pull Alcock this off. Was so good yeah. as Young Renera. But she, uh, yeah, every episode I've liked older Renera better and better. Her performance and this this episode is true with that. One thing that really stood out to me with this soon though with Renera and Luke is that. She genuinely loves her children, and she is taking part in raising them. We've seen that ever since we see her as a mother. She takes part in raising them, both in terms of being royalty, but also just being there as a mom. Like the fact that Luke could even tell her how he was feeling here and that she was compassionate and she was being a parent. But then the way she kissed him, she kissed him three times, but a quick like... Uh, on the forehead and I've kissed our kids that way it's she looked like a mother to me it it was just a a really believable scene but why this stood out to me is the contrast of her and Alicent you don't see love between Alicent and her kids Alicent reminds me of that stiff upper lip the way probably the aristocracy in, in England was for a long time where you don't show affection to your kids you let the nanny raise them you just tell them what their duties are now to be fair and there's a bit of bit of a cause and effect issue here but Allison has way less nice kids, except for Helena, who is, you know, awkward to be around. Yeah. <laughs> but this is something where I think nature does play a certain role. You've got different personalities. You know, our two kids can really exemplify that they can have the same parents, but be completely different personalities. However, how you raise them, there's some nurture here. Right. And she, Viserys didn't really raise them much at all. He was kind of an absentee dad, even though he was physically right. present. And Alicent was just way too caught up in being a neurotic puppet of her father, not being able to know her own identity, and then just well, we floundering. Had, uh, so We talked about last week how Kristen Cole was probably a, more of a father figure to Eamon than Viserys was, and that might show in Eamon's, the, the way he carries himself and acts and stuff like that. So I agree with your overall point. Well, everybody in Game of Thrones, a big part of their motivation is always their kids, a big part of... Sometimes uh, Robert couldn't have cared less about his kids. Cersei did. Uh, I don't know. Jamie didn't take a big part in it. Robert didn't take a big part of it, even though they were fathers to the same kids. Yeah, but Robert's kids were never threatened in the Tywin, same way. Tywin, he cared, but only in a narcissistic way and about how to advance the house and them doing their duty. Well, right. Care is not the right word, but I'm saying a lot of the things that they do is because of their kids. So whether it's out of what we would conceive of today as love and caring or whether it's out of advancing the family name. Right, but that's a completely different thing. So back in that time, you only got to retain your house and your legacy by having heirs. So there was a a much different take on being able to have children and what that means. But it doesn't mean you love them. It doesn't mean you raise them. It just means you produce them. And what I mean to point out here is some of these people actually genuinely love their kids and bother to parent them. Yeah, I remember in Game of Thrones in the book when Joffrey <laughs> was caught killing a cat, like cutting out its stomach or whatever. This is from a Stannis chapter, and he was saying Stannis saw Robert hit him so hard he thought he killed him. Mm-hmm. Um, and But he was a little psychopath, so again... <laughs> 
cause and effect. It is true that Renera seems considerably a better parent or has considerably better children and considerably better family environments than what we got on the other side. We can kind of maybe talk about this at the end or throughout the episode, whatever you like. It's very clear that they have filled in the gaps to tell the story a certain way. And they made the blacks look very justified and reasonable overall here. They even made Damon likable, even though he's unlikable. So we do these episodes. I don't go online and like read the Saga and Weiss and Fire forums and the Reddit and all that stuff. I know there's a huge community of it. And I guess there's like debates over the green and the blacks and what side you're on. And that really hasn't entered our podcast debates to much extent because I just feel like they're so clearly pushing us toward the blacks. Right. And that's um, kind of my main point here is that... The only time I was on Team Green, and it's only for logical reasons, and it was when Otto convinced Alessandre that by not putting Aegon on the throne, they're going to be at the mercy of Rhaenyra and hope that she's nice. Mm-hmm. So that's like... From a strategic point of view, I get what Team Green is saying, but at no point can you really be rooting for Team Green. The only one I like over there is Aemond, and that's <laughs> a controversial statement, but he's, he's the one that I could like see myself possibly... But technically, they could have had an out that Rhaenyra could never have once she was named heir. And what I mean by that is the moment that uh, Viserys became king... They didn't kill Rhaenys and her family. They didn't kill Daemon. These are all potential threats to the throne. So every time that someone gets to be on the throne, you don't kill every threat. But what you do, if you go against the line of succession, you can't leave people who can say they have a legitimate claim. So that's something where if Alicent, like even though Otto said that, and it was a good point, it wasn't something that if they just allowed things, I don't think Rhaenyra would have come after her siblings. If they just allowed things. Yes. You mean... But because yeah. she had a legitimate claim because she was named heir, she was always going to be a problem the other way. So they actually don't have the same way. Like, Renera kind of has to have a decision to make. Where here, if they just followed suit, I don't think Renera would have had felt threatened. But that's also kind of a character trait of Renera, Because as we saw in Game of Thrones, Cersei... Or no, sorry, Joffrey had all of Robert's bastards put down... There can be conflicts, you know, the whole uh, Stannis versus Joffrey. The, the War of Five Kings is over some of this. So it is true. I agree with you that Rhaenyra would have well, been. Well, there's always the possibility that it could happen if yes. someone wants to say, I'm going to take it. I'm yeah. pretty sure if we go back into the lore of well, this history, this happens where a, people usurp the throne. There's the Blackfire Rebellion, which I wouldn't be surprised if we uh, got a show about that at some point in this Game of Thrones. But universe. like, I know that it wasn't always the true line of succession of who was king. If you had someone who was mightier and could fight for it. I bet you the Targaryens did this. There was fighting amongst them. So the threat is always there. But my point is, is even though the threat is always there, they're not constantly always killing out. They're, they're not lions who come in and kill the other lion's cubs and then restarts over. Yeah. But if someone is named heir, you have to. Danny was always a problem because she had a legitimate claim to the throne after her uh, brother died, Viserys, the... Third? Yeah, uh, uh, at least the third. Which yeah. I, I was going to say this in a previous episode and I didn't. But I am glad to see that King Viserys from our show got more people named after him. So he went down in history as a... Like, there's nobody named Magor in the future. Mm-hmm. Just like today, there's not many people named Adolf. <laughs> 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 but, uh, 
But it's nice that there's uh, that Viserys' name lived on until that shitbag got covered in gold. <laughs> so moving on. And I think throughout this podcast episode, it's appropriate for us to do a lot of throwbacks because this is the final episode. So we can talk about all the ways that this was set up throughout the season. Yeah, I like how you're yeah. putting in these caveats. I'm just going to say whatever the heck <laughs> yeah, I want. Yeah. <laughs> and people can just choose not to listen or fast forward. <laughs> yeah, so Rainey's arrives and... All season and all episode, I keep noticing that there's Rainies and there's Renice, and it depends on who's saying it. So some people say it one way, some people say it the other. Well, it, it actually happens even with there's Rhaenyra and Rhaenyra, hmm. and it is said different ways depending on who is saying it. So I'm glad we're not the only ones who struggle with this. No, and but, I, I think it's, you know, people have different dialects, so... Now that we're 19 episodes in, I think we got the names. I'm pretty sure in our last episode or two that we didn't Now not. that we're how many episodes in? 19 podcasts. Oh, yeah. yeah. Now that we're 19 podcasts in, I think you and I are not messing up the names. As much. I mean, our first two episodes was <laughs> atrocious. I was always like, that guy there. Rainey's explains why she didn't torch them. And she just basically said, it's not my war to begin. So a war is coming, but it's not mine to start. Which I agree with her. Yeah. This is something where sound reasoning, they filled in the gap, even though we wondered at the end of last, but I agree with her. Yeah. I wouldn't want to if it were her position either. Um, and, and it's better than saying like, well, I'm a mother and Allison's a mother. So, or whatever they said at the end of the last stupid inside the episode. But, but what if Rhaenyra actually was like, you shouldn't have done this. Like from a Stannis standpoint and like, it wasn't your call to make. So now I'm going to take your hand the way that he did to the Onion Knight. Like, yeah, you helped me survive, but you're a smuggler, so... Or I took your fingers, sorry. Yeah, yeah, but Renera's no Stannis. No, But <laughs> Damon, you. Damon could have done it. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but Damon... And she's watched Damon cut down a family member of hers. And I think it's... Uh, we forget how terrible Damon was in that first episode as the police chief. Mm-hmm. So let's just remember what a cold-blooded cunt he is. Yeah, I mean, again, I, I specifically said he's not a likable character, but they've allowed us glimpses into him of him being smart and him being what needed to be done um, and also compassionate at times. So you get glimpses rather than he's just this very one-dimensional character, but he's still unlikable. You, you, you like him. But you like to dislike him. And that's when you know you've got a really great character sometimes. But like I'm never fooled like he's some amazing guy. He's not. But he is a very strategic person to have on your side. He's well, not someone you would kill off. Well, I think Matt Smith plays it just right too. To where you can feel all those things about his relatively limited range of emotions. But he, he does it in a good way. But right. I wouldn't say like for example Kristen Cole... Except for when he gets angry. He's a very typical man where he doesn't have like always the widest range of emotions except for when he's angry. And then he doesn't hide that at all. But even his angriest is not out of control. Really? Choking your wife? That was very calculated. And he didn't go too hard. He didn't accidentally kill her. She couldn't breathe. I know. But that you can't say he lost control. He did that on purpose. The only point I'm going to make here is that... I don't know. We might talk about when we get to... I, I, I took it that he lost control over his emotions um the only point i'm going to make here is that kristen cole who annoys everybody i would say is not objectively worse than damon but we all like damon better correct so yeah it feels too easy to dislike kristen cole now 
he's unlikable and I don't like he bothers me. I mean, I like him for the show, but right. I don't like nobody's going to gonna root for Kristen him. Cole, but we are going to root for Damon. Yeah. But, but my only point is that what's so bad about Kristen Cole compared to Damon? And there's nothing likable in any way. Yeah. Well, there's admirable things, I guess. But well, I guess I just appreciate he's a good fighter. <laughs> yeah. No, he is. But t- speaking of Damon and sometimes where he goes wrong, I, I was thinking like. I get how Viserys' death is really suspicious here. They were literally just there. Yeah. Um, and I get how it's suspicious, but Damon literally says he has been slain. And he wasn't. Yeah. He's wrong. Damon is itching to fight, looking for excuses. And everybody knows it. Else. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, he, they did set it up in two episodes prior that he thought they were poisoning him and he, he figured he was going to be dead. But you can't take a look at Viserys and not expect this to be coming down the pipeline any minute. So... Whether he was slain or not, he would have been slain a day or two before uh, his expiration. But right, so Damon, yeah, this this is going to be a big part of the episode is Damon's just looking to fight. Rhaenyra starts to go into labor during all this yeah. stuff. So, Which this is not what happens in the book, right? Uh, this is what happens in the book. Oh, yeah. okay. So I reread it between when we watched it that and... I forgot because Renera has so many children, I can't remember who, what happened to what. So she does have a stillborn here? Yeah. Okay. Uh, if I remember right, though, I think it did show the baby with the cord wrapped around its neck. So she does have a stillborn baby at this time in the book. And the baby, you know, didn't look right in the show. The head was malformed and stuff. But in the book, it's like dragony. Supposedly. So that's why it was looking at those, because I was wondering why they were having the pictures of the dragon, because it reminded me so much from the show Vikings, the one who became really big, but his legs didn't work. He came out looking. Uh, Ivar. Ivar, yeah. Ivar the Boneless. Yeah, he came out not looking good. And, and if he weren't royalty back in those days, they often didn't keep those children alive. But because he was Ragnar's son, they kept him alive and he ended up being quite a, a pivotal figure well ragnar went to kill him and then decided not to but this was also it reminded me a lot of that i think like giving birth like she knew that she was giving birth to a, a different kind of child and yeah the um, intersplicing of the dragon was kind of interesting so it came out looking like a dragon so in the book well it was dragony it had like a little nub tail and like scaly or whatever at least that's what the histories tell us but it could have just been a mm-hmm. malformed baby but it died so when they say i am the dragon they're not kidding well, right, so when she's having these flashes of the dragons during the labor... Um, what a painful labor. You do wonder what... Like, was that a specific dragon we were seeing? Or was that just what was happening in her mind? Was, was that some connection to her dragon? Or was it just uh, symbolism by the show to show that she's giving birth to a monster kind of thing? Um, well, and it's funny, too, because I was trying to understand if the baby did look a little bit different. Because, yes, the head did look a little bit different. But here's the thing. Baby's heads are really, really soft to be able to fit through the birth canal. Right. And a lot of kids do come out slightly misshapen from the birth process. Um, you know, the way you see them in television shows, yeah, that's not how it goes. Right. Um, and she, she, oh, that was a difficult labor. She was really struggling there. Well, I also got the impression that she But, didn't... like, struggling with, like... Uh, having the pain and trying to decide if anyone's going to help her. I thought she did a, a, a wonderful job giving birth to her yeah. child. I thought that uh, her refusal to get help from the, whatever they, they're called, the helpers, was kind of because she was giving birth to a different kind of thing. Mm. This is a Targaryen thing. That's the way I took it. So now the big difference in the books is that after this happens and the baby's stillborn, that's when she is ready for war. 
So she doesn't need any more convincing. She blames her early labor and everything on. She did. She does go into premature labor here. Yeah. Um, because of like all the stress and and what happened, likely. So. Right, but all this stuff about Rainey's siding with her because she's shown restraint and she's not ready to go to war and she's thinking more. None of that's in the book. Okay. The, this baby is stillborn and she's like, "We're going to war. Fuck these guys." Well, is that um, someone's interpretation though? Because this all happens really fast where it could have happened all the same way. The only way is if she's really like that and someone in the room who was there said, nope, she was ready after this. But otherwise, it could still look the same way to other people, even though that's not what it is. Um, well, the whole book is interpretation, but her, her readiness to go to war is prior to Luke being killed by Vagar. So going to Baratheon isn't... It's, the short, it's for the same reason... They're, they're fighting now. They're, the war has is, is already begun psychologically. One's much more a direct kill. Yeah. I'm just telling you the difference between yeah. the book and the show. Um, so what we see here, though, as she's in labor, Damon sets up shop as leader right away. He doesn't even consult Rhaenyra. He doesn't check on her with the birth. And we hear her labor in the background as he's giving orders. And she even calls out for him. And that's when one of the night King's guard was like, do you want to go see her? And he didn't like that. But right. I could understand why they're like, why are we taking orders from you oh, if yeah. she's it? And, and he just stepped right in. And I just found that it, it left a really bad taste in my mouth, how he was completely abandoning her to be leader and to fight as war. And she knew it. Yeah, um, if you're one of those people in the room, that was very awkward. So yeah, the King's Guard said, then said, do you want to go talk to her? I said, do you want to go talk to the maester um, mm-hmm. who would be given birth? But I also took this as Damon being... You know, this word is overused, but I'm saying being traumatized from Lena's death and childbirth, just like when he went to visit Viserys and he didn't want to see. When he's is... he's now lost his second child. Right. Rhaenyra has not lost any children, but you know what? Well, she just lost her dad. Yeah. She's in premature labor. She's suffering from labor. So the premature labor comment is because they all know this isn't good. So there's the fear of that. But then there's also just the difficulty of labor and giving birth. You can go support your fucking wife. Well. I think it's important to say this because it's come up in a few different podcasts. Whenever I explain somebody's motivation, I'm not justifying it. Mm-hmm. So I think Damon was completely wrong here, but I'm just trying to explain that I think he was very, it was triggering for him thinking about how Lena died and he just didn't want to see it and he's ready for war and that and he's prioritizing for, that. For the record, dear listeners, Jay was always very supportive of me of both of my births. <laughs> so this isn't some unresolved resentment <laughs> towards, towards my beloved husband. <laughs> Um, Although there was one time I remember being in labor. Like, I remember where she was like, it's fucking happening or something to the maester. And I was like, yep, that's about right. Yeah. I know that feeling. I remember you had looked down at your phone or what one point when I was in labor. And I was like, can you not do that right now? <laughs> I was just turning it off. <laughs> that is not what was happening. But continuing on this thread of how absent Damon is, not only is he not checking on her and just stepping in and making decisions, he's not respecting her authority. So if her own husband doesn't, how the fuck is the rest of the realm going to respect it? But did you notice then it was Rainey's? She stayed, she delivered her message already. She knew that her husband was coming back and yet she stayed during all this time and they allowed her to stay. And be privy to all their talkings. But it was her who went and told the boys and said, your mother needs you. And then this allows Rhaenyra to tell Jace her true wishes, which is don't 
like not is to be done without my command. Um, but it's not Damon who, who even tells them that their grandfather has died, that their mom is in trouble or might need their support. And then they go in there and they're like, where's Damon? And she's like, gone to madness, yep. gone to plot his war. Um, Damon's gone. Yeah, Damon's, Damon's mentally checked out. He's pissed. He's ready to fight. But even if he is traumatized like to what you're trying to say to make a case for that, that's not the right word. I just think he doesn't want to see it. It, it shouldn't have been so. so easy for Rhaenyra to say he's gone to madness, gone to plot his war. This is she knows her husband. Yeah. She knows him. And this is his character. I wanted to point out though, just during this whole birthing scene and stuff, we see her give birth here and, and just the grief at a stillborn. Like this was something where I just thought that the direction, the acting, the way that they did a lot of this, some of the that like the editing, so much of it was thoughtful to what that could actually be like for someone, like not only in that time, but just in general to, you know, carry a babe and then to lose them. You know, we hear Viserys and Emma talk about it and it's kind of being like, oh yeah, they lost all these kids, but you don't really get to understand that devastation. We're here. You can see her just hold the baby on the floor for a while. Just hold it. It's still connected to her. Yeah, I wonder how hard this is to watch for people who've who've gone through this. Well, we have I have two friends who've had essentially yeah, stillborn I, or almost I, I've had friends yeah. who who lost the baby at birth. Yeah, was, so that's gotta be um I just wonder what a show like this, how how that viewing experience is and if it's upsetting and makes you not want to watch the show, or if it's you can relate to it, which makes you okay for the show, even even if it's hard to watch. I think it also depends on where you're at in your own personal journey. So for some people, it might be at first, you can't even watch it. It's too triggering. You can't even do it. So you don't even watch the show. But maybe 15 years down the line, you're able to take it in. And so like, I think it can change for a single person, let alone people as a group who've experienced this. But, you know, uh, there's certain things where... You, I'll never forget um, a friend of mine went to go see Saving Private Ryan when it first came out in the theater. And there were some vets who wore their uniforms in the in the theater they didn't make it past 10 minutes they got up and walked out yeah and you know this is 40 years 50 years after world war ii ended and some things don't leave you and the loss of a child is ranked as one of the worst things you can ever go through well the older you get the more shit you see the more things are like that like just an example before I had kids, I could watch violent movies or watch the UFC and not feel any way about it. But then after I had kids, it's just harder. It's like you see people dying in these You're like, movies. That's somebody's kid. Yeah, or you see people getting the ass kicked in the UFC, and you imagine if it was your child, your perspective changes. And that's just having kids. That's not even going through the shit. I also think maybe it's something that happens as you age, and you don't need to have kids to get there. It's just that you get a little less impulsive, a little less aggressive, a little bit more wise with your experience. It's not a guarantee of getting older, but you see a lot of people shift attitudes on a lot of things as they age. And some things may not change, like your favorite music, but yeah. being quick to jump to war, that might be a little bit different than a bunch of... 20 year olds and how they might they also had somewhere in here it's, i'm saying it out of order but it doesn't matter when they're planning the wars one of them's like yeah the, the trick is to get more people in the grave than on the other side than on your yeah. side but then somebody made the point like that's easy for you to say you sit here and order it and that's like 
what people say nowadays, it's like we have bureaucrats in air-conditioned office that are sending young people off to war. There's a huge difference between people who make decisions. Like, it's really easy. Like, you know, like this was a big thing of the draft in the Vietnam War, right? No senator's son. Well, through most of human history, the leaders, the successful leaders were the war leaders. But then at some point that changes. And right, you just wonder if it's if it's... If you're more trigger happy when you personally or your family don't face the consequences. But in this Game of Thrones universe... Well, um, and this is where I think the Starks have it right, where he who passes the sentence uh, should swing the sword. And what that is, is making sure you're not too far removed from the decisions that you're making that have very real and final consequences. So if you're going to send a bunch of people to war, you better be ready to send your own kids to war. Which in this universe uh, does tend to happen. But yeah. it came up in conversations. So that's why I'm bringing it up. Uh, real quick, just on that, that scene where Rainey's tells the children, we see Jace is going hard on Luke. Mm-hmm. So Jace, whatever his motivation, perhaps he and Amond yeah. feeling insecure. I think he recognizes there's a problem because Amond is, they're about the same age and Amond is leagues away from him. Yeah. Yeah. So he's he doesn't want to be a punk. But he also carries the mantle of heir to Rhaenyra. So there's more pressure there than than what Luke has. Yeah, perhaps, but Luke is feeling the pressure yeah. greatly, which we saw with him taking Sea Snake's place. So does that go to Joffrey, the one that uh, yeah, Lainor named? Yep, that would go to the third child of Sir Strong. <laughs> and uh, anyways, all right, let's see. All right, so Damon again proves himself no, not really any better than. Um, Otto, he just does his version of Otto said, bend the knee and rounded up the people who didn't. And Damon tells the Kingsguard, swear loyalty or else the dragon's coming for you. So I also don't know what else can be done here, though. So to do what you're saying, like, do I necessarily agree with it? No, but these guys are dangerous. They're sworn fighters. They need to know who whose side they're on. They can't wait to have this conversation. But they're also not going to let them go free and then kill them. Like it's like that part in Saving Private Ryan where they show mercy and then that same guy kills one of them. So I think it's really a very strategic tactical thing that needs to be done. But he's showing, you know, Jace, this is the level that we're at. And, well, we gave he, Otto so much shit last episode saying, like, no, nobody likes to be forced into submission and it's blah, blah, blah. He's only doing it to Kingsguard warriors, though. He's not doing it to everybody else there. Um, so there actually is a difference here. Otto is doing it to old women who are heads of their houses. She's not going to be a Lady Olena and kill people and be at that level. But these Kingsguard, they're threats. They will be on the battlefield. So I actually, my criticism of Otto holds here. I don't know. Danny did this with the, the Tollies. Not the Tollies. What are those guys called? Yeah, Tolly. The old man and the son. Sam's yeah. dad. And, yeah. Uh, it was reminiscent of that. But whatever. Yeah, I don't know how else he's supposed to... Well, she should have imprisoned them. Those are heads of houses there. Yeah. Killing a Kingsguard is, carries a different weight here. But when you are killing heads of houses, that that's a bold statement. I guess just the point I'm going at is, does this make these two Kingsguard more likely to be loyal or less likely to be loyal? It's hard to say. But uh, I would say less likely on the whole. But technically... They were already protecting her as heir all this time. Nothing's changed. They're the ones that went with her and they're doing this. They just suddenly got a choice they didn't know they got. But they're not 
going against any right. word that they've made so far. Right. So, I mean, that, that even makes it seem perhaps more unnecessary what he did than less. Um, he could have just had him swear, uh, swear an oath without <laughs> telling him they're going to die screaming and bringing the dragon in. Uh, I don't know. But, uh, and also he's showing Jace. He's trying to teach Jace a lesson here. And I just don't know if it's the right lesson. What should he have done instead? Uh, he could have just, like I said, without the objective threats or whatever. Like, it's just not going to endear those guys to him, at least. Or to the no, cause. But that's why you have someone else be the executioner. It's not Rhaenyra doing this. It's Damon. Yeah. Well, whoever gives a sentence, just swing the sword. <laughs> <laughs> Passes the sentence. Yeah. All right, so it leads to a funeral slash coronation scene. Which we've seen this before. Yep. Yeah, so there's a lot of scenes in this episode that we've seen before, essentially. Almost the exact same setup. And it just shows, though, how dangerous childbirth is, both for women and the babies. This is not inaccurate of not that long ago. Many, many women and children died. It's why a lot of people had more than just a couple kids if it were up to them to be able to do that. It's just many didn't survive. Just like I think it was the second episode... When some random guy just walks up to the war party. <laughs> because some random guy that walks up to the funeral. <laughs> well, I joked with you of like, do you know how long it would take for him to walk up there in his full armor? He should be out of breath. He should be sweaty as all hell. It should have taken him a long time. But yet no one notices him until the last moment. It was just like, it's not that big of a deal. I don't really care. I just found it so hilarious. Yeah, the logistics here are a little difficult. I mean, how did he, did he sail a boat by himself? In his armor? <laughs> or did he get off the boat in that armor up for the, the presentation? Whatever. I think he rode a horse. Um, and he must have just Well, the Dragonstone is an horse. island. Um, oh, well. I, I think, yeah. at least. Oh, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, I don't think a lot of people are thinking about this when, when Sir Eric arrived. But just for the record, I am on Team Sir Eric. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, and he brought Viserys' crown, which is nice. Yes. Um, what a perfect statement to show your loyalty because it means that he had to sneak in and take something very valuable that, you know, he put his neck out there. I was actually waiting for Rainey's to be like, I can vouch for him. The reason I got out is because of him, which I guess we're just assuming she does that at some point and also tells them about Lord Caswell who died for her. But I was kind of hoping to see both these characters get what they deserve because of how they risk themselves for Rhaenyra. And I'm just going to hope that that just... Both being Eric and Rainey's. Or Eric uh, Sir Eric and uh, Lord Caswell. Oh, well, yeah. I don't they know. both stuck their necks out yeah. by trying to support Rhaenyra. And Rhaenys can, because she saw the body. I guess Sir Eric could also say that about Lord Caswell to her. Um, so you're just hoping that they'll mention him. Yeah. <laughs> Give it, yeah, throw his, yeah, throw his body a bone. This is where we see Rhaenyra really become queen. It's actually in this funeral scene. It's yeah. when we, for the first time, we see people acknowledge her as the ruler and now they start calling her queen and they stop calling her Princess Rhaenyra. And I was waiting for that change in title. Um, and Damon puts this very crown on her head. He bows first. So finally he does something a little bit right here. If he wants people to see her as queen, he's got to do it too. So at least he's finally connecting with that. And it's not that long ago that he put this very same crown in Viserys' head in that one scene. Yeah, and Damon's... Um, this is about his forlorn or sad as he'll look is when he first gets the crown or whatever emotions he was feeling it, it was definitely um he da- loved his brother for damon's range um it was pretty pretty wide um and you could tell he was 
for Damon, distraught when he first learned that Viserys was dead. Although, why they're shocked with the way that he looked the last time they saw him, but okay, whatever. Okay, moving forward, we're at the planning table. I loved the lighting of this Dragonstone table. It was such a neat, major, major props to the people who do the props. <laughs> Particularly this scene with that table light up and her walking with her guards around her and et cetera, looked the most movie-esque to me. Yeah. You know, it looks like the way the Lord of the Rings movies would have been filmed or some kind of thing like that with the slow motion and, and whatnot. But yeah, the table looked great. This I is... noticed here, so like Rainey's is there and um, she's kind of by her grandchildren at first. So Reyna and Bela, but both grandchildren go to the planning table by Rhaenyra. And I think this is a very strategic thing to pay attention to, that Damon's girls are going there. They're not hanging back by Rainey's, who has yet to declare their house for anything. Well, and one gives her wine, so one's a cupbearer, apparently. But there's love and affection there with it. Yeah, I'm not saying cupbearer in a bad way. I think, yeah, you know that's. Well, I think it's that's, an esteemed that's a legit job. Yeah, title. Yeah, and it's it's part of a. Uh, I but, just noticed this though, in case you were wondering the loyalty of of Damon's kids. Yeah, to their betrothed, or to, to just to Damon and. Uh, not yet to the betrothed, because I will comment on that okay. one later. But here they go stand at the planning table, like with all the other lords. So it's a statement saying that they are in support of Rhaenyra as queen, even though their grandmother has not yet decided that. Yeah, I don't know how they couldn't be, though. They, they no... could have just stayed by their grandmother. Yeah, right. So they could have been loyal to grandma and not to... But it was, the they high towers, just, they the greens were never neutral. who they were going to be. No, um, no, I agree. They could have remained neutral, which is what we were waiting to see yeah. with House Valarian is not who they were going to fight for, but where were they going to stay neutral? Because they could just not fight. And they had the ability to not fight because they have the fleet and they have the stepstones. We see here, though, they start talking about houses and loyalty. I'm excited for some Starks. Please tell me we get some Starks. Uh, I'm not telling you anything, but I think it's a safe assumption at this point that we're going to at least see Jace go there. Yeah, so no Starks this season except for a brief glimpse, I think, in the first episode. But um, but now they're getting mentioned. Yeah. And now we're hearing that. We, you know Jace is going to go there, so if we get to see it, we're, we're going to see some Starks. But they also made a point of saying Starks have never turned their, uh, or, or have never broken an oath. Yeah, they're much more worried about Boros Baratheon than they are about the Starks, apparently. But then when Otto's on the bridge, Otto tries to claim that they're in negotiations with the Starks also. Well, of course he would say that. Which, right, yeah, exactly. So it's probably... The more hand of, is playing his hand. Right. More of a ploy than anything else. But he, I'm sure he did send ravens and whatnot, but... Yeah. We see here, though, Damon start talking... Well, not just Damon, that other guy. I don't know who it was. One of the lords talking about dragons. Um, and Damon talks and they do cut to one of his daughters where he talks about all the dragons that they have and some who are still riderless. And Damon's daughter, Rena is still dragonless, which yeah. means all this time, even though she watched how Aemon claimed a dragon, she has not claimed a dragon. So let's cut right to that, him going to that dragon. So that dragon is Vermithor, big bastard. That was... Like big, like Vagar. Uh, I'm just going on what they showed us. I don't think big like Vagar, but big. Um, so it's an old dragon. It was Jaceri's dragon, who was the old king. Jaceri, okay, yeah. So the one who who had the great council to choose his successor. That was his dragon. So that's an old big bastard. So Damon, what, what are we taking from that scene? 
Is Damon claiming that dragon? Or just bringing it out of retirement so this for is his where daughter? We, or? Well, so he, well, here's the thing. I don't think you can claim for another person. You must do it. Otherwise, parents would do this for their children all the time. But yet they don't. I think Damon is pushing the envelope to do what we speculated with Danny. Can one Targaryen have more than one dragon? And I think the answer is yes. They just hadn't tried it before. And... I feel really bad to the dragon that's theirs. I bet you the dragon will feel a little bit like, what the fuck, man? You mean? <laughs> like like it's disloyal. You mean Damon's existing dragon? Yeah, the, the that's skinny. Worm. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, they did show the eye contact and whatever, dilating pupils between Damon and Vermithor. So something happened there. But right. Well, I think what they do is they are able to recognize Targaryen blood. And so, like, yeah, you're legit. So if Damon weren't a Targaryen, he'd be cooked right on the spot there. But also, Vermithor heated up that cavern to a thousand degrees with his whole fire birth there. And he's saying, leave me alone. I don't have time for you, little puny human. And then Damon's there still singing away. And he's like, oh, okay. Well, you wonder how long that dragon's been there, just hanging out in that Dragonstone dragon pit. Well, the same with Vagar until um, uh, Lena claimed her him her her well right and then you know in this episode where Damon's talking about we have the more dragons and everything we can see that compared to Vagar those little ones don't really matter um so they need a big bastard like this yep if I didn't I I don't think I fully appreciated what you just said there until this episode where you're like oh holy holy crap you you really do need the greens may have three dragons but one of those dragons counts as 20 right Moving on to the bridge scene here, they get informed that a ship has just arrived with a green three-headed dragon. And my first thought with this is like, one, I'm not shocked, but how presumptuous of the greens, because you're literally changing the sigil of House Targaryen for decades to your new one, which I guess, well, no, you don't have to change it. Changing it kind of shows that you did do something wrong or that like you shouldn't have done otherwise if you want to show legitimacy which is what Otto's trying to say you keep it exactly what everybody knows is the red three-headed dragon yeah the high towers are certainly showing their influence mm-hmm. and i guess there's no targaryens on that side except maybe aemond who would want to keep the targaryen symbolism pure but right Otto does make this big point about how aegon has the name the sword the crown all the symbols of legitimacy uh, in front of all the people, which, you know, they set it up that way, and it's, it's a good point. Well, they, they worked hard to do it, and... If the people matter, then that they took the correct strategy. Yeah, what's funny, though, is how often do the people really matter? How often is it people around these tables making decisions, and then people being like, ah, all right, I'm going to go with them? Well, that's the question of Game of Thrones. Where does power reside? Because yeah. somebody said, I can't remember who said it last episode, oh, uh, the White Worm said, you only have as much power as the people choose to give you. Yeah. So ultimately, it is true that the people, if they could organize, would be extremely powerful. But then there's the dragons, so they did organize when during the conquest, and Aegon still won. But yeah, so we get this, this scene on the bridge. It's almost the same as the scene from earlier in the season, in that Rhaenyra shows up on her dragon. This time the dragon... I can't remember if this ha- happened the first time, but the dragon lands on the other side. So... Otto and his team are closed off, which would be a pretty intimidating spot. 
Yeah. And this is the second time Rhaenyra has surprised Otto on this very bridge at Dragonstone atop her dragon. Yeah, I don't know if surprise would be the right thing. He said, where is she? But there's no reason this time he couldn't have expected yeah. that to okay. happen. Well, this is her doing this exact yeah. thing twice. In the same exact place. There's a stare down between Eric and Eric, who are both there on opposite sides. Oh, I missed that. I thought it was all the same guy. I mean, I... <laughs> <laughs> No, they didn't show Eric very well. I had to watch it the second time to confirm that it was him. But they are both there. There's a thing in the book, and I don't know if this is going to come up in the show or not, but this split between Eric and Eric becomes a song Hmm. um, about one brother trying to convince the other brother and how they love each other, but they have to fight each other. And it becomes like one of those tragic uh, singer songs in the lore of... I'm already sad hearing this. (laughs) But yeah, so Otto presents terms, which Damon is again acting the king. I thought it was bold of Otto to come here. What makes you think under these circumstances you will not be slaughtered? Yeah, same with... I had made that point in the second episode or whenever he showed up before. So he is... Um, he does have some skin in the game. And he's taken a lot a lot of presumptions here. Because Damon is ready to, to do it. Well, I think he keeps playing a game of chicken. And I wonder if this is going to be his downfall. At one point, someone's like, all right, I'll play. And then he loses finally. Because these are big risks for a guy who's got no prowess in terms of planning war. Yeah, so, yeah, let's talk about that now. One thing that they're making clear in this show, I feel like the theme of the show, is that they're making a lot of obvious mistakes on all sides. And we'll get to that more later, how this tragic war that's coming is like almost by accident in some respects. But we do have to remember that they're all green. So it is it is different than Game of Thrones, which is a point we made up before. But the Game of Thrones players were much better. So some people watching the show could be like, God, why are they making such stupid decisions? It's funny, you said all green. I was like, yeah, I know. Otto, Allison, <laughs> yeah, they're green. They're all, they're all uh, unsullied. <laughs> um, but Inexperienced. Right. Naive. So I think to the viewer, they could be like, you know, what's up with these guys? The Game of Thrones players, except for a few, were, seem so much more polished. And it's because they were. It's not by accident that they're yeah. telling this story with naive mistakes. And no, stuff there was like a that. lot of wars, yeah. Yeah. It wasn't uncommon for each generation to participate in war. And there was no shortage of knights who had actual combat experience. In the books, I don't believe Otto was here. So when she takes the the sigil, the whatever, the thing off his jacket and throws it out across the bridge, something similar happens with a maester. Okay. Um, and they like break his chains or something like that. I mm-hmm. can't remember all the details. The but, point remains the same, though. Like you yeah. all people, the fact that you have already turned cloak, like in this way, you are a traitor. And she has every right to say that. Yeah. Um, I did make a joke with this scene to you that like the poor Masons are never without work with all these dragons landing on everything. They're probably like, oh, God, all right. Yeah, the, the Masons, right, the stone fixers, that bridge took a lot of weight right there. And so we hear, though, a very, or we, we see a very manipulative move where Alicent is also complicit in this because we see that she hung on to that page from the very first episode. Rhaenyra knew exactly what that was. And that was a time when they still really loved each other. It was before Rhaenyra had lost her mother. Like all of this started. And it was a time when they they really were close and, and beloved childhood friends. And we, we are able to accurately infer that Allison hung on to this all that time. That she's always kind of carried love and affection for Rhaenyra, even despite their differences. Um, but she also had it and gave it to Otto and told him about it to use it, which is manipulative on Allison's part. And it's also manipulative on Otto's part. However... But it's not just manipulative. Yeah, I just said however. Okay. (laughs) Uh, However, Otto, I think it's just manipulative. 
But I think Allison is also trying to say, just let this be. I do love you, but let this be. Well, right. And for Otto, all of Otto's, you know, things and all the ways he's maneuvered the situation into war, he doesn't want war. He just wants Renera to give up. So he's not like... That's naive, though. If that's part of them being green and, and not like from the house, but... <laughs> Like well, inexperienced, then sure. But come on, how can you not expect her to fight? And she's married to Damon. Like, well, at this point, there's still hope that they won't fight. It's still possible. Yeah, but as they said last episode, he's like, that's never going to happen. Right, but there's Rhaeny- a chance. Renera has shown restraint throughout this episode, so yeah. it's possible that that still fighting doesn't happen until the final scene. Yeah. Um, we also see here, though, that Otto learns that. Rhaenyra is wearing her father's crown. He would recognize that crown. Yep. Um, and that Sir Eric has switched sides. And this is the same night he's like, go find Aegon. So someone he trusted deeply has completely switched sides. And you know who is not there is Harold Westerling on either side. Mm-hmm. So if he's going to make an appearance, he hasn't yet. I hope they bring him. Well, I'm sure he's going to make an appearance. Yeah. <laughs> but he, it, it could have just as easily been him walking up during that funeral scene as Sir Eric. And the mm-hmm. story would have been essentially the same. Yeah. Yeah, but so Damon is um, trigger happy throughout this scene and all the other scenes he's in. I, I think he was holding his sword almost every every scene in the show. I also like that before this meeting starts, Damon is pacing back and forth across the bridge. And that's what you do when you're ready to fight. So It reminds me of like UFC fighters when they're bouncing up and down yeah. in the octagon before they go in. Yep. So Renera, you know, you'll have my answer tomorrow. Cuts over to another meeting room where Damon is once again just uh, commanding things. And Rhaenyra doesn't want to rule over Ash and Bone, that she says. Um, yeah, when dragons flew to war, everything burned. Yep. And you know what? That's a really, really good point. It's really like what we would... Be. We, we call them nuclear weapons for a reason. Like, yeah, both sides have nuclear weapons. But if either side starts using it, the level of devastation and literal fallout... It's not good. You want to avoid it at all costs. Yeah, it's called MAD. Mutually Assured Destruction. It's crazy to me here that only Rhaenyra is really understanding that here. And it's not just Damon who's trigger happy. All these other people, and as Rhaenys points out, all these other men. Yeah, it's not just Rhaenyra, it's Rhaenys too. Because um, she chooses to support them because of her restraint. Which again is not in the book. Rhaenyra is ready to fight. No, but what I, 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 uh, what I meant to say though is... Rainey's isn't counseling anybody here, but all the people trying to counsel Rhaenyra, they're all saying, use the nukes, use the nukes, use the nukes. Yes. Well, especially Damon. Yeah. Um, so she clears the room. She brings up the Song of Ice and Fire, which Damon doesn't know about. So this is bad. I mean, this is abusive, what he does. Yeah. Well, right. So again, I'm saying that You're not saying it's not abusive. You're just saying like, no, this is calculated. It's a display of power. Remember who I am. I have not been usurped just because you're queen. I still have a lot of power here. Yeah, you need me. It's it's also, I mean, it's obviously his frustration coming out, but it's like, it could have been a lot worse. It's like a spanking on a child versus punching a child in the face. Um, the one thing I'll say though, and there's a lot of research that spanking is very bad for children and my point in saying that isn't just to educate our five listeners, but take the perspective of the person being abused here. It is problematic, even though 
because and the reason why I'm saying that is a lot of times people just look at it of taking no perspective or taking the perspective of the abuser. But this is something where we don't know how devastating or traumatic this is for Renera that her husband is treating her this way. Right. My analogy to spanking is because spanking are controlled and punching a kid in the face is a pure loss of temper. Yeah. So my take on the scene, and I actually wrote notes on this because it's how I interpret it both times, is that I think he lost his cool, not as much as he could totally lose it, but I think he lost it because of an insecurity. Like, I think if he went back, but what happened was, Renera is correct that Damon wasn't told this at all. And Damon realizes that in the moment. And I think he feels very betrayed and less than. He's always constantly trying to prove himself in some way or another. But I think sometimes to himself, not even to the realm or Viserys. You know, I remember thinking in this episode, the end of the season, do you remember in the beginning of the season, he kept having ED issues and then it completely goes away in terms of being present in the show. And I think what we're seeing is that Damon gets troubled about what is my significance here? And he's constantly trying to prove himself and then learning that his brother that he had a complicated relation with, that they did love each other, didn't tell him such an important thing, means that Viserys never took him seriously. And I think he, in a very quick moment, is devastated by this, is devastated that his wife got what he didn't. And I think he felt inferior and insecure. And so he felt a need to display his power. And he used physical force, which is similar to parents using spanking to children. You're in a position of authority and you're using physical force to show it and to dominate. Yeah. So that's my take on the scene. No, I agree. And it's further confirmation in his mind that he wasn't worthy. Yes. Which is true. Worthy to be king, but not unworthy as a person. If he could just, you know, see a therapist or a special maester here for a little bit, he might be able to work through some of this. Um, I mean, he would be such a great asset in terms of being in a war if he could just rein himself in a little bit better. Yeah. Uh, And he also says dragons win wars, not dreams or whatever. and, And that... Viserys was holding on to dreams and and prophecies to to give value to his uh, kingship. But this is Aegon's dream, and Aegon is a legit prophet, if if my understanding is correct here. So it's one thing for Viserys to be kind of all caught up in it and that dreamer, a dreamer about dreamers, but Aegon was a legit dreamer. Well, that's what I was going to say, is that Damon's wrong here. He's not only wrong about whether this dream matters, but he's wrong that dreams don't win wars or whatever, because... Aegon went to Westeros because of a dream mm-hmm. and because he saw the doom of Valeria coming. So Damon's just wrong here, but he's trying to justify his frustration and unworthiness. Yeah, his his yeah, his that, struggles with this, yeah. And this was also just reminiscent of Stannis strangling Melisandre, but Stannis was much closer to actually doing her in. <laughs> uh, but this was in the same table, you know, the, the similar kind of scene. I forgot about that. Uh, yeah. yeah. So we, we get another council like around the table scene and i just want to point out at several of these when rainies is there i kind of already said that it's bold of them to have her there without knowing house valerian has declared for an area even if like they're neutral they could they're privy to important information but they allow her to be there for all of it but we see respect this is where there's a lot of that face acting happening 
um, Eve Best, I believe is her name, who plays Rainey's. We see a lot of respect on her face for Rhaenyra at these small council meetings, which helps us as viewers to better understand her decision and her flip here, because it's a big switch. We have never seen her be kind to Rhaenyra before, several times with both young Rhaenyra, old Rhaenyra. It's always kind of a talking down to, and not that she's wrong with a lot of stuff that she says. We're here, it's like we finally see there is respect. And I'm wondering if there is this almost respect in a way of like, I'm the queen that never was and you were the queen that is. You finally did what I couldn't do and I, I was wrong about. Like, I don't know if Rhaenyra is ever legitimized here. We'll see how the show pans out and stuff. And I don't know the histories, but it, it's something where I like, I'm wondering if she's like, okay, and not only are you the queen that is, you might not be a bad one. Well, right. Rhaenyra's winning her over with her restraint. That's in contrast to everybody else, especially Damon. But Rainey's got to know that by supporting Rhaenyra, she is also supporting Damon. And Corliss, you know, comes out of his uh, whatever and learns about Vaemon being dead. Corliss doesn't die. I remember saying that, like, what if he actually doesn't die? Yeah. And yeah. But so he learns about Vaemon and he acknowledges that the Valerians, Valerians try too hard. They're too motivated or too ambitious. So he's ready to throw in the towel. But then well, Rhaenyra... he, he finally kind of seems to see the error of his ways, which is a little bit too late here. Although, <laughs> I, I did like this, where she's like, yeah, but... <laughs> yeah, which he, he's probably happy about, because he needs the motivation. Like, just because he decided that, yeah, okay, I... we're done, it's like, oh, wait, okay. He's someone so, who retires and then doesn't know what to do with themselves. Right. So this, yeah, I agree with you. I also really like the scene between the two of them where she's like, I'm holding you accountable for what you've done here. You abandoned me. And he's like, I lost everything. And she's like, we, we lost everything. Yeah. I just really appreciate it. Rainey's, I'm team Rainey's. I I really enjoy her character here. Um, I don't know how much it's like this in the books, but it's been fleshed out really well in the show. And Eve Best is just nailing it. Yeah. All right, so then we get the, you know another meeting scene, and this is where Corliss shows up and pledges his support. Which I, I like this. I was like, aw. And this is where Bela and Reyna go stand by their betrothed and all seem happy about it. Yeah. The only thing I didn't like is that just the scene before, they talk about how Rhaenyra was complicit in Laenor's death and that Damon took Vaemon's head. And he seemed to understand the Damon thing. Yeah. But it's kind of like... This is, it's some bad shit yeah. that they're just brushing under the rug. Yeah, I thought that too. But I wonder if they doubt a little bit how much she was involved in Lanor's death. Now, in the books, Corliss does support her. So, But in the books, uh, Lanor's death was almost certainly... Well, Corliss believes it was a lover's spat between Lanor and yeah. the other guy. I forgot his name. Um, but anyways... Here is something where he says, though, hope is a fool's ally, which... I have mixed feelings on that. I get what he's saying, but I also think hope is the thing that gets people to survive. Yeah, I would just say it's not a good strategy. Yeah. Um, yep, I agree with that. Um, and he is well-seasoned at war. So yeah. this is, um, like, you are lucky to have Corliss at your planning table. And he already starts to get in this role as she makes decisions. He'll be like, they're right, my queen. Like, so when Jay says you should send us, yeah. he, he, he gives her some nods and stuff. Right, he's going to um, be a big player on the war council. Well, she's kind of like a, uh, a mentor to her in this way that she needs. Because if they're he's, considering he's war. He's kind of like a mentor. 
Yeah, he's like a mentor yeah. to Rhaenyra. Um, and, and it's something that Viserys could never... Like, there's very few people who could actually be this. And clearly it can't be Damon. So this is one of the best people in Westeros that, who, who is seasoned in battle, literally, for years worth of experience. Yeah. Knows how to plan. Like, he, he's, he's got Tywin-level abilities here. And that's really important if you want to win a war. Well, this is like when Danny gets Barristan Selmy. Yeah, and, and she says something that I really respect here. Of, I, I wish to know who my allies are before I send them to war. Yeah. And we learned that Corliss won in the Stepstones, which is a big advantage for them. Now, in the books, this Stepstone thing is a much bigger war. Mm-hmm. I'm glad they didn't show us it because we weren't really invested. But they did bring up, you know, the cross-dressing guy. And that, that guy's like a problem for them in the book. And it goes off, you know, Game of Thrones goes off in these big wars and well i'm wondering if they're giving like a little like paying homage a little bit by mentioning him but i do remember the show sometimes spent time on places where you're like i don't care why like some of the dorn oh the the books especially my god the the books are really bad with this sometimes danny's stuff out in essos you're like ugh. but yeah so maybe that's a good call of the show here being like we already have so much we can't bring that in and it's still working for them because it's still a big part of various pieces here i'd like to point out though that in this episode it's rainies who's going to go patrol this on her dragon so apparently rainies is a huge weapon and a very capable fighter that we have never seen utilized by her own husband who's fought two different stepstones wars by all these different people like what a horrible underestimation of a very important character now to be fair i guess at least Earlier, they did have Lanor with the dragon, possibly, that would fulfill that role. But I agree. Not only that, you know who they should have sent to Storm's End? Rainies. <laughs> Where she's actually related to them. Um, yeah, no, I agree. And, yeah. Yeah, she would know how to treat better. Like, they kept calling him, like, a pup and a boy. And he yeah. is. Where Rainies would have commanded a little bit more respect. And the queen that never was supporting the queen that is would be a bold statement. Yeah. So I totally agree with you that. With, with a that. big badass dragon. Because they're like, oh, let's fly over there in our dragons. You know, they'll respect that. But it's well, like... word might have gotten out what she did at the dragon pit, yeah. too. But then when Luke goes there and shows up, yeah, he's got a dragon. But it ain't nothing compared to the oh, one that's already see there. see how teeny tiny it is. I do want to give Jace props here where he's showing good signs of strategy by suggesting that they should go. So yeah, it's, it's it, not something you would expect of Aegon. Right. And everything's correct about it except they could have sent somebody else. So it's, it's technically correct, but it's dangerous. But also we got to remember that in Game of Thrones, Rob and Jon, they're all 14 mm-hmm. when, when it starts. So it's like it's just different back then. Sending Luke is not completely insane the, the way it would no. be now, the way we think of 14-year-olds. Yeah, no, no, that that's totally true. But this is still where, yeah, Rainey's would have been better. And keep in mind, Damon's missing for this entire meeting now. This yeah. is a big meeting and he's missing. Now, he's missing to go get a dragon, which he believes is really important. Um, so, like, we, we do get shown that he's not just, like, sulking in his corner. Yeah. We know how you knew that it was going to go wrong with Luke because at this scene where the, the kids propose what they do and Corliss is there, when, when you get that triumphant music, you know that it's going to shit in a few minutes. <laughs> where I knew something bad was going to happen is Rhaenyra is saying goodbye to them. And in my head, is like I was thinking, is she saying goodbye for the last time yeah. once or twice here? And she holds Luke's hand longer yeah. 
when she hands him that that and he is uh, the little boy so that makes sense but right all right so let's get to it so uh luke goes to storm's end it is stormy as we've come to expect from that place always he lands the guards are not particularly impressed or intimidated by that dragon because godzilla's right around the corner (laughs) it reminded me of like jurassic park where all of a sudden they're like Where's the goat? Yeah. And then all of a sudden you see it in the background. You get that side shot. And then it's like eat, like eating that uh, goat and swallowing it down. Yeah. And that's what Vagar was. And that's where you like. Yeah. <laughs> and you're like, oh, crap. Yeah. And but so Luke saw it, but he still went forward with his plan. Yeah. He could have just got up and left. Now, to be fair, I think it's a pretty good assumption that he would have been safe here. So there's, there's a lot of reasons why he wasn't. But there's no way they could have known that Amund was going to be there proposing marriage right well they could have figured that out that somebody would be there and i think right but not only that it's like they are under the brathian house and brathian does prevent the fight from happening in the hall right so there's some some belief that this isn't going to go completely sideways plus it's kind of like how everybody thought i think you brought this up in the last episode nobody thought joffrey would actually kill ned that's like yeah. guaranteeing war, but Joffrey's such so trigger happy or such a right whatever what i'll say here is there's very clear antagonism in the hall of Aemon to him. Like, I think he was legit going to try and take his eye. So, I don't think so. Um, then, that, I, then I missed that. Well, like, I know. So, I, I really like the way that they did this. But first, let's just do it in order. So, he shows up. We see that this Baratheon is more in the vein of Robert than in the vein of Stannis, I would say. Yes. Looks like Robert, belligerent. Um, <laughs> yes, they kind of look similar. Yeah, doesn't even want to read the thing. Well, I think he's a little bit blind, but I, not fully blind. I don't know. I, so my, my first thought was that he, he was blind, but I think he's just above reading. I think he's just <laughs> like, you know, oh. this is for brainy people, but I'm not sure. Um, uh, like, I think he, he can see. So he knew when Amond and, and uh, Luke were fighting and it's not here. Like, I think he can see, but I don't like, I, it's like he needs bifocals or something. Yeah. But regardless. But then if know. he does have eyesight problems, is he a little partial to Eamon then? <laughs> yeah. But he's like, yeah, so he, he did make a good point. He's like, not only have you come without offering anything, I'm not some dog to be whistled up. So I, these that's the thing with this universe. And these, these bannermen must just feel taken advantage of all the time. Like you're ignored for years and then all of a sudden it's like, all right, time to do your duty. It's like... What the fuck? You know, especially when you're one of the more powerful ones. wonder what it's like to be a peasant. Right. But when you have the power to say no, I guess that's the big difference. So. Well, the power to say no to one side. They don't have the power to not join the war. The only house that can do that is Dorne. So basically all these houses are going to have to make a decision. I guess the only other one I would make an exception for is the North because none of the Southerners know how to live in the North. Yeah, I don't know. The Vale could say no. I, I think Baratheon's strong enough to... Waited out and uh, whichever side oh, attacks. Oh, what Tywin them. did. With... Yeah, but yeah. So yeah. yeah, no, that's a point. They could wait it out. So Aemon's already there. Aemon is doing his duty, which we knew he would do early on, and that is marry whoever is advantageous or whatever he's told whoever he's told to marry. But do you notice? Because at some point he's like, "Who will marry one of my three daughters?" And we cut to a scene. They cast people as each of his three daughters, and we see them. They're all lined up there. So who is that woman standing by Aemon the whole time? He's the fourth daughter. So there's four. Oh. Yeah, so Eamon is already chosen, or she's chosen, or however they do okay. it. Okay. Um, she seems to like him, yeah, just by her body language. Right. And the way he's standing, he's looking princely and charming and strong, you know, 
contrasted with this little boy who walks in. He looks in. strong. I don't yeah. know if I would put him in princely and charming like Prince Charming. Because no. that's, that's not what I think of Liv Heyman. He looks like he's standing with swagger. Put it that way. So, yes. Yeah. But he, more like, like to go off of swagger here, like a pirate. Yes. He, yeah, he did look like a pirate. Not, not like literal Prince Charming not, not, who not wakes up Snow White. Yeah. <laughs> but right. So, so basically, Baratheon tells him to piss off. And then that's when Eamon challenges him. But this challenge, the way he acted in the hall, and then the way he was flying Vagar after Luke, easy for me to believe that he intended more. So this is one where it's like, dude, what you playing at? It's funny because I interpreted it a little bit differently. I interpreted that you could think that way, but you could just see he's trying to scare him. He's trying to be a bully. And he's like that over-the-top maniacal laugh. Like he, he was, I think, just really trying to get in his head and scare him and just be a bully, basically. Um, yeah, he took it way too far. And as he learned here, you can't do that with a me- weapon of mass destruction. Well, right, yeah. He did learn that the hard way. But So there, so he challenges him in the hall. Baratheon says, you know, not here. So what happens in the book is that Luke leaves just the same, and Aemon's going to let it go. And then one of the daughters who didn't get chosen says, did he take your eye or did he take your balls? And then... Eamon's like, fuck. <laughs> so he, he gets egged on by one of the Brathian girls who's upset that he didn't choose her. So that's when he goes out there and starts chasing him. But that's so impulsive. Well, I know. It's, yeah. This is really Damon I'm, 2.0. I'm not saying it's okay. Yeah, no, it's I'm, just... I'm just saying that where the difference is and what part of his motivation was. So then he starts chasing him and, right. I, but he, he says in the hall and he says in Valerian, which this is how the dragons are trained in valerian he keeps saying you owe me a debt you owe me a debt yep. but ooh, what's aemon's debt now that he kills luke yeah just the whole thing was really well down how luke has to give his dragon a pep talk and how serve me but they both say it luke says it and aemon yeah. says it to their dragon serve me so it implies who else are they serving no i just think that is they... it like a dog that just yeah, needs you, to be brought to heel. You know, or... when you see two dogs barking at each other and the person holding the leash and getting dragged by them, <laughs> you know. So, it's... but is it an illustration then that you can never really have full obeisance from well, a so dragon? Well, Viserys said in episode one, it's an illusion that we control the dragons. Yep. So that's, yep. you know, that's true. And that's part of why Viserys wasn't into dragons. And we learned that here. And in the books, there's no indication that it was an accident. It's told by people who were watching on top of Storm's End who see the fight in the air. So who the fuck knows? But I really, really liked that it was kind of an accident. Because this whole whole war that's coming has been kind of by mistake, by bad strategy, by whatever. And a lot of these kids, like, Eamon's probably never killed anyone before. He's not going around chopping people down and sadistic or whatever. He's just a, a kid, an older kid, but it's all been training at this point and well he didn't go back on his word because remember he said no it's a fair fight i may have lost an eye but i gained a dragon did he just change his mind i think he was being a bully i I think this was just show yeah no i agree with you but then um eric's is that um luke's dragon anyways luke loses control first so that luke's dragon is scared yeah you know and fights back blows fire in vagar's face so Luke didn't want that. Yeah. That would have been better off staying, you know, under the rocks or whatever. Yeah. 
But then now Vagar is totally taking control, and there's yeah. nothing that Aemon can do about it. It's like a gorilla that just kills because it can. Yeah, and so he chomps. I mean, they're animals. Yeah. yeah. So he takes out poor Luke and the dragon, and we see again what we already said that just because you have dragons, you don't have Vagar. Yeah. And um, so now Damon's strategy is really makes sense to us as viewers to, to try to get a bigger dragon yeah to try to get more dragons so the numbers game because they just lost one but just the numbers of dragons but then also a dragon that's more on the that's seasoned in battle like Vagar. so i think or is jaceri jaceri's dragon um right is it who is jaharis yeah vermithor and had that one ever been in battle i don't know um, it's not as old as Vagar. I don't know what. Yeah. yeah. But anyways. Um, but it's the same thing. What I mean to say of like how we're talking about how people are green here. They don't really actually know wartime. These dragons are also green. Not Vagar. Except for Vagar. Yeah. Right. So that's what I'm trying to wonder though. Is Damon trying to get more like Vagar? Right. But yeah, I just thought it was, it was so well done that this was all an accident. Like you play with fire, you're going to get burned. And... Amond, that actor, the way he looked here was so convincing. Yeah. Like that look of like, holy shit. I can't believe that just happened. I think holy shit is the best way to describe yeah. that look. And, and, and he knows. This is where like he is not naive. He knows what he has just done. Yeah. So now he's committed to the cause, whether he wanted to or not. So and, he, and he's going to be written in the histories a certain way, whether he meant to or not. So do you think when he gets back in season two, he's going to own this? Like, yeah, I did that. Or is he going to explain that it was an accident? I think he's going to own it. I, I think he's going to own it because... Own, own it and play it up. Like this was on purpose. Yes, I, I'm a badass. Because it will completely undermine him to his own side, but also to his own ego. And this is a guy who clearly works so hard to say, I know what I'm doing and I'm the best. And he needs it. So I don't think he would undercut himself in that way. But I also think he's smart enough to know it won't matter. It's so tough because if he promotes himself as having done this on purpose he'd be he, like what do you think was going to happen mother we were going to war anyway but right but he's going to be an accursed kinslayer forever but if he says he fucked up and it was an accident he's going to lose his reputation as the but i don't think people were going to believe him after that display in the hall and the display on the dragons everybody saw him do it twice yeah he could have stopped at any moment and he didn't and so he doesn't have a case at all so, I guess let's do a ranking. Where do you put this? Uh, well, really quick, I'll just say I really liked how they filmed Renera learning that Luke is dead. We didn't see her face at all until the very end. What a very uh, dramatic but amazing shot of how to end it. But you can see in her body language. And you see when it's Damon who tells her, he holds her hand at first. So we do see some unity between them here. But then we see her hold her grief in a way that I think only... A mom who, who bore a child can have. She has that. And we also see now as this season ends that she's got no choice but to go to war now. There really isn't a choice. Yeah, that final close-up on her face did remind me of Danny, determined, haggard, worn down Danny. It but reminds me this... of Danny at the end of season one where she just survives a dragon pit and you see the strength on her face and resolve. Um... Yeah, but much more haggard. Danny looked very majestic. With three dragons and naked and out of the fire. Yeah, well, that's and, two men making a show for a bunch of men. And this yeah. is a show being made by a bunch of different people for a wider audience, in my opinion. Well, also, Renera just 
went through birth and got new. So it's of, more realistic she looks that way. That's yes, my point. Right, yeah. Right. If you just survived a dragon and like are being burnt alive next to your husband who you're sad to have lost, like she she went to go die. She should have looked a little bit more haggard, Danny. I didn't. think she looks more like season eight, Danny, is all I'm um, saying. But just to point out really quickly, Rhaenyra just lost two kids in a very short period of time. And a dad. And a dad. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Yeah, tough day. Now she and Rene's <laughs> have a lot in common. Yep. The stranger is no, uh, is not a stranger to them. Yep. So, okay, ranking. Um, I would give this a nine. I thought it was a solid episode, a, a good way. I like how they, it was like a two-parter of nine and ten here, and you get all one side, and then you get the other. But I liked it. I really did. I'm reserving a 9.5 and a 10 for those just, it's out of this park. Yeah, I'm going to give it a... Eight and a half. I did like it, but for some reason, I didn't feel the tension that I felt in episode nine. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's because I knew the big event that was coming as a book reader that Eamon would take out Luke. I'm not sure, but it, it was good. And then who's winning? The Game of Thrones. Oh, yeah, God. We usually do that in our shorter podcast. Sir Eric! <laughs> Sir Eric is winning! Yeah. <laughs> um. <laughs> I don't know. Can't can't do it. Can I just say everybody's losing because yeah, you see this losing. setup, the kids being u- used as chess pieces across the board, and this is what happens when you manipulate children with war games. You go to war. Yeah, I'm gonna say Amond is losing, just because he fucked up so bad, and any hope at there not being a war is over. Um, and I think House Valarion is winning because they won the Stepstones in control. Yeah. Um, the shipping lane. So way to go, Corliss. Um, but I, I kind of stand. I think they're all losing. This is just tragic, and that's I think the point. But sometimes, are there any winners with war? So where would you put the overall season ranking? Oh, I don't know. Jeez, I don't know. All right. Well, I'm just going to tell you that mathematically, all your rankings add up to a seven point nine. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's where you individually would rank the average of the season. And all mine add up to, hang on one second. That's it? A 7.9? Yep. I must have had a pretty low one. Yeah, mine is 8.6 average. Our best episode for both of us ranked was Driftmark, which was episode 7. We gave that an average of 9.25. All right, so thanks again, everybody, for listening. We may or may not do something between now and season 2. But if you like and subscribe and give us a good rating, you will see all the beautiful things we produce between now and then. All right. And thank you, Kate, for doing this with me again. You're welcome.